Thank you, Ms. Marsha. We are going to continue our study today on the Sermon on the Mount. So if you've got your Bibles and want to look at Matthew chapter 5, Pastor Friels is left off with retaliation. So I think he was trying to get back at me. I know, that's bad. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to be looking at 38 through 42. I'd ask that you stand for the reading of God's holy word. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the evil one, the one who is evil. But if any, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Verse 42. Give to the, give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today uh, thankful for our Sabbath that you knew that we needed. Thankful for your word that we have the opportunity to study. But also that you recognize we are, are fragile, fragile in heart, easily offended, deeply hurt. Lord, we thank you, thankful for your words on retaliation, on forgiveness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last night, we had the opportunity to watch, I can only imagine, the movie. How many of you, show of hands, audience participation points, how many of you have seen the movie? Fantastic movie. If you haven't seen it, the sermon today has lots of application in it. Your easiest application for today is to watch that movie. It'll be more difficult as we move on, uh, but that'll be the easy application. Uh, we sat down, watched the movie. Uh, it's a large group of us, and uh, a roll of toilet paper later, and we were done with the movie. And so um, it was a great movie, though, that had a lot of application for today's sermon on retaliation, um, or could have had. And so um, great movie, would highly recommend it, um, but something that you ought to, ought to take a look at if you haven't. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount and Pastor Friels has covered uh, several uh, components of this. And in the last few Sundays, we've, we've clicked off on murder, adultery, oaths. And one of the things that I want you guys to recognize is that um, when we take a look at what Jesus has said about murder, he said that it applies to the hearts and not just a physical action. I'm talking about hate. On adultery... Uh, is more than the literal, physical adultery that Jesus is uh, referring to. He's talking about guarding our eyes and our minds and our hearts. And then as Pastor Frills talked about oaths last week, we see there that on oaths, uh, it's not what you swear on or to. Jesus is saying, just be honest. And today we come to retaliation. And Jesus is 
again saying to us, for people who are self-righteous, He wants them to understand just how impossible it is to keep the law. That the law extends, yet again, to the heart. Said another way, Jesus is saying how comprehensive godliness really is. We know in 1 Peter, it says, be holy just as I am holy. And so we're taking a look at retaliation today. Um, And I'm going to use that word quite a bit. I'm also going to use the word vengeance um, as we talk about retaliation. Uh, The passage today can be easily misunderstood. I think um, there's some people, uh, some groups that have have, uh, used this uh, to talk against capital punishment and said this applies to capital punishment or pacifism, that we should be pacifists. Or non-resistance, that you can let people do anything they want to you. I think it's clear today that Jesus is not teaching either of those three. That's not the point of this passage. Jesus is making the point that we can't justify personal vengeance. And I think we get some number of people... We spend a lot of time in my Sunday school class looking at the Old Testament. Um, And there's a lot of people that want to throw away the Old Testament and say, well, we just need to use the New Testament. Or I've had somebody in recent past say to me, the only words that I pay attention to in the Bible are the ones that are in red. Um, Those are good words. I don't even have red words in my Bible, though, so I don't know what that means. Um, But one of the things that we've got to recognize is A lot of people, when we take this passage, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, one of the things that people will quickly do is say, this is New Testament. The Old Testament allowed for vengeance. Jesus is quoting the Old Testament scriptures here, and it allowed for vengeance. I want to take just a moment today and show you that that's not true. The Old Testament did not allow for vengeance. And so we're going to take a look at that. You've got your Bibles with you. Take a look at Leviticus 24. And we're going to be looking at 17 to 22. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. This is a scripture that Jesus was actually quoting here. It says, whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good. Life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor as he has done, it shall be done to him. This is the interesting part that was excluded from our New Testament component. Fracture for fracture. Eye for eye. Tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. Whoever kills an animal shall make it good, and whoever kills a person shall be put to death. You shall have the same rule for the sojourner and for the native, for I am the Lord your God. One of the things that we look at here that I want to point out is this fracture for fracture. Um, This is an interesting component that was left out in our New Testament. 
But I also want you to recognize that uh, when it talks about the sojourner and the native, that we're talking about everyone. This isn't just something that applied to Israel. If you look back a couple chapters, look at Leviticus 19, 17 and 18. Leviticus 19, 17 and 18. Verse 17 says, You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You shall not take vengeance. Old Testament. But who's this neighbor that we're talking about? Does this apply just to the nation of Israel? Is this just the law for them? Leviticus 19.34. So moving forward just a few verses. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. All strangers, all sojourners, we're all neighbors. It's pretty clear that the Old Testament teaches against vengeance, says so. So when Jesus brings this forward here in our scripture, he's not saying, hey, this is new to you. He's not saying, this is a new concept, no vengeance. He's saying, this should be something you recognize. But what you've been doing is mishandling it. Or you've been looking for the reason that you can have vengeance. This hatred that you've got in your heart, you're looking for an application. And that's what he's talking about here. See, God's law was designed to keep people from having an opportunity for vengeance. If we take a look at Israel itself, when they came into the promised land, they set up six cities. And those six cities were cities of refuge. They were places specifically that if you had harmed somebody or what we would consider to be involuntary manslaughter today, if you had had an accident on your farm and somebody was killed, you weren't laying in wait for them. You weren't plotting how it is you might murder somebody. But somebody died. And to some degree, it was your responsibility. Those could end up in family feuds. Where now, because you harmed somebody in my family, we're going to take it out on your family. You owe us one. One of the things that in the Old Testament, they recognize is this could go on forever. This could be our modern-day Kentucky version of the Hatfields and the McCoys. How many of you in here have heard of the Hatfields and the McCoys? Okay. Now, how many of you in here know the reason why the feud be between the Hatfields and the McCoys started? See, 
three hands. Four, five. I spent a fair amount of time reading about this online. And I'm not convinced that anybody online knows. And I'm not convinced that after reading the story that I could figure it out. There was a pawpaw tree. There was a stabbing. There was an election. There was a woman involved. But what I couldn't figure out was who was who. Because along the way, the Hatfields married the McCoys and the McCoys married the Hatfields. And I think they were having trouble figuring out who was who. But we all know the story of the Hatfields and McCoys. If we look at the Old Testament, when they set up these cities of refuge, purely for somebody to be able to flee to and stop this process. Somebody to have a place to go and be safe from revenge or someone else's vengeance. One of the things that when they set these cities up, they made the roads straight and smooth leading into the cities. I thought that was interesting. Why would they do that? So you can get there fast. There's no bend in the road that somebody can trap you and jump out from behind a rock and get you as you're on your way to the city of refuge. They recognized these challenges. And they'd set up ways to discourage people from seeking revenge. 7.30 most nights at my house, uh, we have a group of beanbag chairs, rockers, and whatnot on the front porch and we are usually listening to my wife read aloud a book. And right now, some of you would absolutely hate this. Some of you, Gina Johnson and others, would love it. Some of you would think that you had just gone off into a rendition of the Twilight Zone. Um, but we're reading Moby Dick. And we're on like chapter 700 of eight. 1,642. Not really. We're like in the 50s, and there's 130-some-odd chapters or something like that, 10 million pages. But this is a huge book about Captain Ahab, who's trying to hunt down this great white sperm whale who has bitten off his leg. I can't help but sit there and go, we've got 1,400 pages of Captain Ahab just trying to get some retaliation here. Just trying to get this huge whale. And he's never going to get his leg back. But he's trying to get the whale anyway. What we see is vengeance and retaliation easily in our society. The law put the decision of punishment and justice not in the hands of individuals who have been harmed, but in the courts. What we see here when we look at an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is a call for proportionate punishment. What I want you to recognize is it says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Not an eye for a tooth and a tooth for an eye. 
This is not about mutilation. This is about proportionate punishment. Tooth for a tooth. I don't know what that says for you, Dr. Fisher, if you owe a lot of people teeth or how that may work out for you, but I don't think that's what he's saying. I don't think he's saying you can't be a dentist either. But what he's saying is the penalty fits the crime. The penalty fits the crime. Not too severe, not too lax. We've got this tendency right now in our society where if the penalty doesn't fit the crime, then what we need to do is we need to riot. You see that? If somebody was harmed and the courts don't necessarily give the verdict that you think they should give, then we need to riot. We need to retaliate against whoever it may be, society at large. And one of the problems here may be that we don't have a punishment that fits the crime. We don't have a penalty that is the right severity. What Jesus is saying here is that we need to be guided by a spirit of love. He condemns hatred, lovelessness, revenge. I think we need to ask ourselves, do you have an attitude in your words, in your deeds, that shows a desire for love and not hostility? See, as Christians, we bear witness to the love of God. And the challenge for us is going to be that at no time will revenge, hostility, will those bear witness to God's love. We've heard many times the little saying about your teacup. You know, that when you are jostled, what spills out of your teacup? You're full of something. But when trouble comes, when someone hurts you, when pain comes, and all of these, all of these things will or have come, what spills out of you? Is it venom? Is it vengeance? Jesus is saying it's our actions in the tough times that show our hearts. It's easy in the good times. But in the tough times, when somebody's hurt you, how do you respond? What's that look like? What spills out of your cup? Are you a person with a short fuse? Are you one of those candles where we've got to dig the wick out of the candle before we light it? You have that blue streak like Ralphie and his dad in Christmas Story. 
How's that go when you hit your thumb with a hammer? Pastor Friels was talking several weeks ago about us needing to be peacemakers in Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. Are you a peacemaker? Or is your version of the peacemaker a 45 caliber manufactured by Colt? Is your immediate response to anger your immediate immediate response to hurt anger if you can find your if you find yourself consumed with hurt with hate anger rage desire for vengeance i want you to hear what christ is saying today he's saying this is a sign of spiritual danger a heart consumed with hate is not filled with the holy spirit Two don't coexist. Let's look at verse 39. It says, But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, right cheek, turn to him the other also. I think we see here that love instead of vengeance through acts of violence. We need to have love instead of vengeance during acts of violence. How many of you have literally been slapped in the face by someone? I tried to think about this for a while and try to figure out if I'd ever just been standing there and someone just smacked me in the face. I really couldn't come up with that one. Because I looked up this word, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. It actually literally means an open-handed hit to the face. And specifically, it meant a backhand. And it was meaningful as to whether it was the right hand or the left hand. Right hand being a bigger slap. I don't know if that's just because people were right-handed and stronger in the right arm. but I can't think of a time in which I was literally backhanded into the face. But that saying is one we all know. We will say easily, well, that was a slap in the face, right? When somebody says something to us or offends us in some way. So this may not be a literal literal slap, but it may be things like name-calling. Maybe things like gossiping. Maybe things that you deal with that are just belittling. Most organizations that have multiple employees, you see a lot of jostling for position. And that entails really a lot of belittling, a lot of putting people in their place could mean just a cold shoulder. But the point here that Jesus is making for us is we need to keep this from escalating. 
when someone gives you that slap in the face. Keep it from escalating. When someone calls you that name, this is not your opportunity to say, oh yeah, well how about this one? When someone's talking about you, this is not your opportunity to turn around and say, well, did you know this one about so-and-so? We have the ability to de-escalate situations. And here in verse 39, the point for us is that we're trying to de-escalate the situation. Verse 40, if you're looking at your Bible, says, And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. I look to see if this component that really is that we need to have love instead of vengeance through legal battles meant that you shouldn't be an attorney, that you shouldn't hang out with attorneys, that you shouldn't go near a courthouse, any of those kinds of things. Uh, I don't see that there either. So that's not the point. But what Jesus is saying to us is, again, this is an issue of the heart. Are you quick to press your interests over those of someone else? point here isn't that if someone sues you, that you need to ask about some punitive damages as well for them. Or that you lose the suit and you say, you know, I'd, li I'd like to throw in a tip. Give them a little extra money. This is about our rights and pressing them. Are we willing to forego our rights for the sake of the kingdom. I thought some of our rights are interesting that people fight for. I had this uh, list that I saw online it says that we have the right to own things and share them. I thought, okay. Although I remember in grade school, we weren't allowed to share food. If you, had, if you brought your lunch, you could not share it with anyone. That was a capital offense. One of the rights was the right to Social Security. This list was all one list. And it was the right to Social Security, which was defined as affordable housing. You have the right to affordable housing. You have the right to medicine. You have the right to child care. And the right to enough money to live on. Next one in the list was you have the right to play. We all have the right to rest from work and relax. Isn't that a great right? But you didn't know you had that right. We all have the right to a good life. That was in the list too. Good subjective words there. I thought this one was interesting. Mothers and children... People who are old, unemployed, or disabled 
and all people have the right to be cared for. And the last one that was interesting to me in the list, list of 30 of them, one of the last ones was that education is a right. This is the uh, United Nations Declaration of Human Rights. Those were seven of the uh, 40. I only list those because somebody's going to fight for them. Somebody's going to fight for those rights and say that at your expense, those are my rights. Or maybe it's you. Maybe those are the rights that you're fighting for. But I want you to recognize in this passage is that Christ is saying, my expectation is that you forego your rights for those of the kingdom. Are you willing to set aside your right for the sake of the kingdom? I had a person in my office that's running for Congress on Thursday, about 4 o'clock. And he kept talking about tort reform. Tort reform. Tort reform. And I finally said to him, I said, I think that'd be great. But our issue is that we need heart reform. We can have all the tort reform we want. But our issue is that we need heart reform. Are you quick to blame others? Are you quick to go to court to blame others? Is the issue that we're dealing with here. In verse 40. Verses 41 and 42, if you're looking at your Bible, say, And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. I think this is love instead of vengeance through the withholding of acts of kindness. I had no idea that this, I don't know what this says about me, but read this many times, I had no idea what this going one mile or two miles bit was. I don't have many people ask me to go a mile or go two miles. Maybe have somebody ask me to go to Evansville. Something of that nature. We got to digging around and the Persians and the Medes had this law. And the law was that for the king's mail, they could force you into service to make sure that the mail went through at any point. And forcing you into service forced you, family, and or animal into service. You had a horse, we need to get the mail through, we're going to use your horse. And there's some speculation that this is what Jesus is referring to. That if you're forced into service, and they say, you're going to help deliver the mail for this next mile. 
that Jesus is saying, offer to go to. Do we respond in our giving, in our charity, with generosity? If someone asks you to give, are you willing to give? Or do you give grudgingly? I gotta be honest with you. Mount Carmel has this thing that I just absolutely abhor. And that's the uh, stand at the stop sign, collect donations deal. Is anybody else in this game? Am I the only one out there? That you like driving down the road and I'm the only one, aren't I? And uh, you're driving down the road and you come, for me, I'm coming south on Route 1 and there's someone standing in the road and I'm like, oh. Come on. You know, got a baseball helmet, a football helmet, a pack of suckers or a thing of lifesavers or whatever it is. I don't know. Um, But I'm always just kind of like, is there a weekend off from this? Does it happen every weekend or what? I know, it's terrible. But I also always sit there and think, why don't they care about the people that are coming south on 9th Street or coming up Cherry Street? They don't care about those people. But if you're coming south on Route 1, or if you're going to get in that turn lane going north on Route 1, they're interested in you. And they're probably at other intersections here, there, and yonder. But, man, I grudgingly give that group. I do. I am not generous. I'm not a happy giver at the stop sign. And that's sad. I think what Jesus is saying here is, are you generous? For some of you, generosity is easy. That's a great gift. For some of us, money may be the thing that we are easily generous with. But what about your time? What about your talent? Is that something that is as easy to give of? Or is it much easier to donate a little something and stay out of it? Last week, Pastor Friel stood up here and said, Would anyone like to drive us to Chicago? And I thought, No way. <laughs> He's not here so he can say this. Yeah, but I just thought, Are you kidding me? And then, he, and then he said, and come pick us up in a couple of weeks. And I was like, whoo. Much easier to buy the gas for that trip than to drive them to Chicago. 
drive to O'Hare is not a fun one to begin with. But you know what? There are people in our church that are generous in those endeavors. I'm thankful for that. And for me, an opportunity to say, I need to look at that. Do you lend in time of need? Do you do so selflessly? Or is this a Facebook moment for you? It's one of the interesting things in our society is we might be selfless until we post it on Facebook and then it's not so selfless, is it? Now it's a little brag time. We have the opportunity to give. And Jesus isn't saying this is also the opportunity for you to get a pat on the back. Again, are you willing to abdicate your rights for those of the kingdom? We've been reading through our church covenant. And one of the things that I want you to see in our session on, section on retaliation today is that one of the reasons Pastor Fields is having us read through that is that we're a covenant body. Many of these issues on retaliation, vengeance, hurt feelings, they're issues that the church has dealt with for centuries. People get their healing, their feelings hurt. And it's time to leave. As a covenant body, we really don't have that opportunity for that to be our answer. As a covenant body, you're saying, we're here for each other. We're here to give. We're here to be selfless. We're here to put my rights over the choice of the carpet behind somebody else's rights for the choice of the carpet. What it is that I think is most important needs to put behind, be put behind what it is that is most important for the kingdom. When we read through our church covenant, Recognize part of that is dealing with many of these issues. It deals with what we believe. But as a church body, as a covenant body, we're in this together. We have the opportunity today to apply many of these things in all of our lives, to de escalate. Situations that may arise. To be more generous. To heal relationships. To be the first one to say, I'm sorry. The first one to turn the cheek.
we have the opportunity to put the kingdom first. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your teaching. We thank you for this covenant body. For really the opportunity it gives us to exercise many of these things within a church home with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we just pray your blessing on each and every one as they go from here. That they might be the love that you have shown us and that we need to show others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to have our closing time and I'll be down here in front if you want to talk about anything. If there is the opportunity for you to make amends with somebody here in the church today. If that needs to happen, this is also an opportunity for that. What is the gospel? It all begins with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the first man, Adam, and the first woman, Eve, to rule over the garden. God told them they could eat from any tree that they wanted to in the garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything was perfect in the garden. They had a perfect relationship with the land, a perfect relationship with each other, a perfect relationship with God until they chose to rebel against God and eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it brought about separation between them and God. Man has always tried to bridge the separation on his own terms and in his own strength. Whether it's building a ladder of morality and trying to be good enough for God, or even in the Old Testament example, when men built a tower into the heavens trying to reach God on their own. A more contemporary example comes from 1961, when the Russians were first successful in sending a man into outer space. Upon returning, the Russian cosmonaut remarked, We have been to space, and we didn't find God or heaven there. A popular professor and author, C.S. Lewis, responded to the Russian cosmonaut. He said that looking for God in outer space is kind of like Hamlet, one of the characters in Shakespeare's plays, looking for Shakespeare in the attic of his home. Lewis said that for Hamlet to have a relationship with Shakespeare, Shakespeare would literally have to write himself into the story. That is the gospel. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Almost 2,000 years ago, the Bible says that Jesus, in fulfillment to Old Testament prophecies, was born of a virgin. Even as a child, he lived a perfect life. At the age of 30, he began his public ministry. He attracted followers. For three years, he taught, he healed, and he made bold claims, such as saying that he alone was the only way to God. The religious and political leaders did not like these teachings. They invoked a riot against Jesus. They brought about false accusations leading to a trial and to a sentencing of death by public crucifixion. The Bible says that while Jesus hung on the cross, that God placed all of the sin of all of mankind on Jesus. Jesus hung on the cross as our substitute. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
They took Jesus down from the cross and they put him in a tomb. They rolled a large stone at the entrance of the tomb so no one could get in or out. There were Roman soldiers who were posted on guard to keep people from coming to take Jesus' body. But on the third day, according to scripture, he rose again. After being seen by many eyewitnesses and giving instruction to his followers, he ascended back into the heaven, where he now sits at the right hand of God and serves as our advocate before the Father. So what does this have to do with you? The Bible says that we have all sinned and that we all fall short of God's standard of holiness. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is no way to get rid of the burden of sin on our own. God calls all men everywhere to believe in Christ, repent of sins, and trust Christ to live a new life. As we look back and believe in what God has done through the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection, as we repent and turn from our sins, as we trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we have peace with God and the forgiveness of sins. So let's review. It all begins with God. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. The gospel is the account of God writing himself into human history. Jesus died in our place for our sins and rose again on the third day. As we believe in Christ, repent from our sins, and trust Jesus for new life, we have peace with God and forgiveness of sins. That is the gospel. 